Welcome back, it's time for customers who click. I've got someone from one of my favorite brands with me today talking about my favorite topic, CRO, of course. Today's guest is Laura Bull, Digital Marketing Manager at Gusto. Laura runs the CRO team for acquisition there at Gusto, so we'll be talking about what gets people through the door, what makes them sign up, create an account, and what convinces them to make that first purchase. Let's get Laura on now to talk us through it. Hi, Laura. Thanks for joining me. Would you mind giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself, a bit of your background and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, of course. Oh, hello. I'm Laura. I'm currently a digital marketing manager at Gusto. I've had a quite a windy, windy like path in my career, I guess, but fundamentally kind of the roles that I do, I help businesses create strong marketing funnels through data-driven testing and like a, a focus on the customer. Before I worked at Gusto or worked at Gusto as a digital specialist, I worked at Zoopla in the B2B marketing team, setting up lead funnels for our sales teams and kind of establishing more of a digital focus within that team. I love digital marketing. I think it's like a really interesting space. It evolves quite quickly and you can have quite an immediate effect on things. I guess my other kind of passion is conversion rate optimization. As as a customer, I absolutely hate terrible customer journeys. And so being able to influence the sign-up journey at Gusto is great because any kind of poor experience I see or see our customers struggling with, I get to kind of help shape what we test and uh, see if we can improve it for customers going forward. I guess the, the reason I got into CRO, it was fairly similar, except I was on the, on the marketing side internally and it was always, you know, our sign-up process sucks or the the app isn't very good or the website has got problems. But it was in companies where, you know, you're on the marketing team, your job is to acquire, like drive traffic and acquire customers. I was like, well, no, it's not. It's not how it works, is it? We've got to. We've got to be able to convert them. You know, the website's got to do the job. So that's what what kind of led me down the route of of CRO, just getting really frustrated with bad bad experiences. How do you get customers clicking at Gusto? I think there's kind of two approaches that Gusto takes to get customers clicking. So we want to be like the UK's most loved way to eat dinner. We see ourselves being very much like a, a dinner solution versus like takeaways or restaurants or anything else that's going to get a share of your stomach. So kind of the first way in which we get people to click and engage with us and think about Gusto is through getting excited about food again. Like we're all really excited about food. It's it's a tech company who loves food. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of how we describe ourselves. So that kind of manifests in like really cool TV campaigns with like food flying around all over the place, like really like rainbow full plates, colorful plates of food with kind of high quality ingredients, sauces being slopped around just a lot of like fun and excitement in our like top of funnel marketing activity, awareness driving marketing activity to really showcase like the quality and the variety that Gusto can offer people in their dinner, making their like potentially their midweek dinners more exciting. 
And then on the other side of things, we have the the stuff that drives sales. So like the more functional messaging, which is about like the benefits of Gusto, like the fact that a recipe box is like a really convenient way to eat dinner. Like everything is just delivered to your door in a box. It's all pre-measured. You have like really easy step-by-step like recipe card to follow there's very little food waste and our recipe developers are always trying to figure out ways to make sure that there's not as much washing up for everyone to do (laughs) and within that kind of like bottom of funnel really functional messaging we have stuff like the number of weekly recipes the fact that we're the UK's best value recipe box all of the like more practical elements that are going to get people to a point of wanting to purchase the product and going to look at our menu and then taking a conversion action. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so for me, I used to be a customer. It was always about the discovery piece. The, you know, I, I love cooking. So I used Gusto as a way to test out new recipes without having to go and buy like all the ingredients separately for, for something, which you know, there's there's always a recipe out there where you, you buy an ingredient for it and then that ingredient sits in the cupboard for like 10 years because nothing else ever requires it. So, I, yeah, I, I saw Gusto as that opportunity to, you know, like conveniently try new recipes and then obviously get the think, instructions and things. And I think that's really interesting, though, because actually like what drives people to purchase isn't what they stay for. Stay, stay for. So like when we talk about like that excitement like right before sign up that's the bit that gets them interested in the first place but it's not the thing that actually converts them on site and when you talk about like discovery of new recipes that's very much something that keeps existing customers coming back but it's not the thing that drives like purchase the thing that drives a purchase is a very like practical like i just hate trying to think of dinner <laughs> yeah. or like going to the co-op five times a week because I've not got anything in after work and I'm just tired of thinking of it and it's like the it's funny because you almost have like the the stuff that gets people excited about recipe boxes and interested in the first place that's all of this like variety like in, dinner inspiration then you go to the practical stuff to to get the purchase. Then you go back to that variety and inspiration <laughs> when you're talking to existing customers, try and re-engage them and, and keep them ordering on the menu. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's the getting people excited. Yeah, getting people excited about it. Well, it's the, you know, so I always talk about usability, anxiety, and motivation. So usability is how to use the website. So that's not so relevant right now. But the anxiety is you know, what, like, what is a recipe box? Like, how's it going to work for me? You know, what are the portion sizes? Like how many people do they feed? How long do they, do the meals take to cook? That sort of thing. But the motivation piece is that like the, the bit that excites people, right? Because you, if you focus just on the anxiety piece or the, the kind of feature checklist piece and said, you can buy these recipe boxes, well, recipe kits, they feed two people each. Each one could be made in 30 minutes. Each one's a balanced meal. It's kind of like checklist items that you go, yep, cool. I like that. But it's not, it doesn't wow you, does it? 
the wow you piece is that you know the yeah the bit that excites you and and like you're saying it, it brings you in gets you to make the purchase or, yeah. or gets you interested yeah. initially because how how do you approach Sierra Augusto like where I guess to start with like where do ideas come from um so we kind of have like three ways in which we get ideas on our like CRO work stream I guess so one is from the customers themselves we're like continuously interviewing and surveying prospects in particular from, from my part in the acquisition team just kind of like guiding them through the journey and seeing where their sticking points are like what their kind of like mental model is when they're trying to decide what recipes to pick like one of our big things is choice we always want to have like enough recipes on the menu so there's something for everyone but within that comes like this paradox because as soon as you present people with choice they get choice paralysis and then don't make a decision at all so like balancing that for prospects is like a really interesting problem and it's one of the reasons why we are kind of always I guess keeping in touch with our customers and like exploring in a very like open way what are they thinking about right now like is there anything on the the website that's that's not working for them is there any like pre kind of preconception they have as to like what they thought they were going to see here and do we have anything missing getting ideas from that so is this all um, kind of like moderated user testing so actually yes. having someone go through the website and you're kind of watching them and going oh like what like why did you do that what did you think was going to happen like why did you go there and then go back and just yeah, yeah. exactly and then what we do from there is kind of like start figuring out where the kind of biggest priorities are in terms of like what we're going to look at next where do we think the biggest opportunity is and then start doing like I guess surveys to like whether that's that's a a survey to figure out like the best messaging or the best design or the best like structural hypothesis like we'll kind of start quantifying what we've seen in the like moderated interviews with like a, I guess a qualitative like lens from a survey or something like that and actually I should say as well like one of the other methods that we kind of get ideas to CRO is obviously like behavioral data so we'll always try and back up what we're seeing with behavioral data from our website if there's any like external data that's relevant so for example like obviously the the cost of living crisis became very kind of prominent towards the end of last year we were looking at like analysis around spend behavior within our customers and whether like food subscription would be something that would be hit by their kind of changing behavior and it's kind of like where does that like moderated user interview and all the ideas we get from that meet the behavioral data that we've got from either our website or third parties 
and from those kind of I guess inputs where's the biggest area of opportunity what should we prioritize and I guess from that we try and look at like a balance of like quick win and like bigger kind of like optimizations so we'll never like put all of our eggs in one basket (laughs) and kind of like overhaul everything all of the time and then sacrifice like the smaller more simple tests like I would say that actually like the the best wins and especially like I I work on paid media channels in my kind of marketing part of my role and the quickest wins are always the simplest thing like the, the biggest test wins are always the simplest thing and the simplest yeah, change I, I remember uh, not too long ago working with a client and he mentioned to me that the the dev team the ex- external dev team had excess hours for for testing and it was it was almost put as a bit of a like a complaint like why aren't we I guess like why aren't we building more tests why aren't we doing these things and I I just said well it's because the tests were doing a working and these tests are really focused around copy changes some positioning stuff like like even introducing some features and things to the website that are not massively technical it's like a button you know like a tooltip sort of thing not massively technical don't take very long to implement but can have pretty significant results but just in in that case it was kind of seen as a you know if we're not using the dev hours we must not be doing very good tests yeah i think that's a really interesting one as well because like actually the more complicated the test the more like a departure it is from your existing journey the bigger the risk and like if you're continually taking those big risks yeah you'll probably have more more wins but or may, maybe bigger wins, but there'll be fewer and further in between. Like it's the the balance of those kind of like high confidence, quick win tests that are potentially rooted in more like behavioral science principles where you know that you can like influence someone's behavior because it's it's like a tried and tested thing that presented with three choices. Someone's going to pick the middle one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot of research that goes into it. I, I'm quite a fan of like not, not big. It doesn't have to be a big complicated test, but kind of radical tests where probably the main idea really of the test is just to get a reaction from the customers. I don't, obviously everyone wants an improvement, right? You want to improve the conversion rate. You want to make more money. But equally, if if I get quite a significant negative impact to that test, it still tells me something, right? And I think there's still a lot of value in that because Definitely. we had one like that recently where it was like a, a a tiny bit of copy, and it is kind of it's rooted in like social belonging. It's something like join our community, blah 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 blah, blah. and we removed it and changed it for something else that was around like I think it was like number of meals we delivered per week or something like that just like an approximate number but we had a really powerfully negative result and what that told us is that actually that copy is more important than we thought it was and it was kind of like a a test that one 
three years ago, completely different team that ran it. And actually there's still a lot of value in in that line of copy. And we know now that if we are going to be testing that again, we have to have like a really strong hypothesis and like something that is equally as powerful as social proof or social belonging in order to kind of beat what's there at the moment. Yeah, so was that um, that initial message, was that something more like join our 100,000 members and then you changed it to like last week we shipped or delivered, you know, a million meals? So was yeah, that, that kind yeah. of the difference? Yeah. And I, the hypothesis behind that test was a number works well there at the moment. Therefore, if we increase the number, we're going to get bigger results, right? <laughs> and that was why we thought it won the first test. But actually, it wasn't that at all. And it was more about that social belonging and that joining the community. And we kind of, I think we iterated a couple of times because we thought that potentially like having a less specific number was, I guess, part of the reason why it wasn't as tangible for people. But even running it with a, a more specific like, 3,565 meals this week like it it didn't win so it is about that community and that social belonging and actually there's another test that we did that was fairly simple that was around social belonging and I would kind of like say that's like one of my favorite tests that we've run because it was a very like throwaway like what if we did this like there's no reason why it's in our customer journey it's almost like a little delighter like basically it's on the page after people have given us their postcode. So we need to know their postcode before we show them the meals that could be in their box that week because we need to serve them kind of the right... It, it's all to do with the mechanics of the page, basically. Yeah. So we wanted to feel make people kind of feel a sense of belonging when they were going through this journey. We just asked them for a bunch of really personal information when potentially like they're quite early on in their research of a recipe box and journey with Gusto. So on the page after the delivery postcode, we added a little box which said, join our community of 500 people in X area. It was personalized to whichever postcode they put in, okay. uh, who were ordering Gusto this week or something like that. And it was like, a, it wasn't very complicated to set up. Like the data in it is static. We refresh it every couple of months. It was just to kind of see like, do people enjoy this like hyper-local approach? Like uh, if they're feeling good about being part of a community when we've got that, that sub-copy and we had that really dramatic negative impact, perhaps we could use this tactic somewhere else in our journey to improve our conversion rate. Yeah. And we had like a really positive result from it. And it wasn't like a very difficult test to set up. It, it doesn't really have any like, functional benefit to improve our product but it made people feel like they were part of something and that increased yeah. trust and like confidence in our product and therefore translated to more sales. yeah it's an interesting one because i'm trying to think like if, if i saw something which said you know 500 odd other people in, the, in my area you know i'm i might know that my town is like i have no idea what orpington is to be honest 200 200 let's say i guess so that then seems really small. But then when I think about 
trying to picture that number of people that seems like quite a lot of people yeah and we obviously like put parameters around it like if the kind of like order density of gusto in that area was low we excluded them and those people don't see that message um we kind of found the right level of people who were ordering gusto for that to be considered uh, like a, a powerful piece of social proof i guess and we actually did analyze it like area by area just to see whether there were like any areas where it negatively impacted or anything like that and i think overall it was like broadly positive so see this is the sort of thing as right so i got two two points on this firstly yeah you could use that in other areas of the website right so on maybe on the meals themselves you could say well you know however many people are ordering each meal of the or each recipe each week or which ones are the most popular and use that data but the other thing and i think this is it's quite an important part of cro that i think a lot of people miss a lot of non-CRO people miss is you now know that people care about the fact that a lot of people near them are ordering and that encourages them to order. So therefore you could test some direct mail campaigns or be a bit more kind of like insert heavy to try and get people to refer their friends nearby, refer their neighbors. Right. So yeah, in, fa- in fact, not refer a friend, refer a neighbor. Because obviously, because it looks like the insight is saying that people care that their neighbours, even though it might not be next door, they care that their neighbours are ordering. That seems to be a positive for them. So therefore, instead of refer a friend, do you put a refer your neighbour in to the box and see if that has an uplift? Yeah, I I think that's really interesting because we can also take that tactic out into paid media channels as well. And like get really localized in some of the kind of like creative that we're running and see if there's the potential for that message to to translate out in that way as well. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the insight that you can push to other teams, basically, and, and help optimize the whole business, not just that on-site conversion that you're looking for. I actually did a, a kind of a similar test with some direct mail a few years ago where we so it was, a, it was a competitor to Zipcar. So we had we had cars on the streets, and what we did was we we did a mail drop to everyone who was within about a kilometer of the car, and the the postcard that we used had the map of the area with a little like this is where the car is or this is your closest car, and we really thought this would have a big impact on it, right? Because we we knew that I think it, I think the max distance people would travel to a car was about two kilometers right which is still quite far actually when you think about it in london so we we targeted a kilometer and we thought this is going to work really well we're telling people there's a car there we put the kind of standards you know from 350 an hour or something like that and it absolutely bombed it was it was probably it was one of the worst worst marketing campaigns performance wise that i've done just I, I I'm honestly not sure it got us a single registration customer, which just really surprised me because I thought that kind of localization piece, I expected that to work really well. I think it's tricky. It's like finding finding out what in particular about that localization is motivating people. Like I think it's potentially like the 
the community aspect, but also the the social proof. And then it's it's about taking that principle of social proof out to the other channels as opposed to like a direct copy and paste of like, here's the absolute number of people near you. <laughs> yeah. That are doing the same thing. And it's yeah. adapting that that like core insight for the channel. And I think that's what like interests me about CRO. It's like playing detective and then getting to like actually play out those yeah. <laughs> like hypotheses to figure out that answer. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's just problem solving, right? And that's what it's what I like doing. But yeah, so so one thing I wanted to ask you, um obviously a lot of people think CRO is all about acquisition. It's the acquisition piece, bringing customers in. But for a business like yours, where I suppose you don't have to get people to interact each week, they they can just I think they can just leave it and they'll get a default box. I think, but you ideally want people to come back, pick their meals for the next week, um, so that essentially they reorder. So, do you have like a split? You know, do you have a split between like acquisition and retention focused CRO? You know, do do you have KPIs on? on retention and, and repeat purchase stuff or is it a, do you just kind of look at it generally and you know sometimes you're exploring the that initial sign up piece sometimes you're looking at the flow for for existing customers yeah so we have like a, a dedicated team looking at retention and they work in the same way so i sit primarily within the acquisition team but our retention team work in the exact same way so very very data driven focused on getting that engagement from the customer whether that be to order their next box or refer a friend uh, which is a piece that kind of sits across both teams but as a subscription business like it is obviously very important to us and we know that yeah people will have orders without an interaction but actually like that isn't an at, at the moment a hugely like great experience for a customer necessarily like we're at a point now where like there is some kind of intelligence to what people who don't choose their boxes get in their boxes so like the meals that they get are sort of tailored like I think you can choose whether you're vegetarian or not but like for me as a vegan if I don't choose my box sometimes I'll get one with like dairy in it which I do not enjoy and it was obviously not a great customer experience and obviously like customers who actively go on are excited to pick their meals every week are going to be more engaged they're going to be higher value so like we do a lot of stuff to kind of re-engage existing customers and make sure that they're ordering so we have a lot of like I think you were talking about this about um as a customer like you were using it to explore and like try new things so we have a lot of themed ranges that stay on our menu for a limited period of time and we'll promote those out to existing customers generate a bit of excitement around them and get them to re-engage with us that way and I think like that's where you really see like the gusto personality and and brand come into those campaigns and there's like a bit of cheekiness in the copy and it, it it's just fun like it, it's it's fun to be receiving those messages as a customer which is quite nice the other thing that i would say though is that like as an acquisition team like we don't just focus on getting the sign up in like it's important to us to make sure that we are getting 
quality sign-ups, not just every sign-up. So, like, it's as much our job to make sure that the customers are ordering as it is the retention team. Yeah. Well, I I mean, it's the same with any business, right? If if the goal was purely conversion, you'd just stick a massive discount up on the site and say, you know, first-time customers get 80% off. Like, your conversion rate is going to go through the roof, isn't it? But they're not going to be very, very valuable customers in the long term, are they? Yeah. And I think that's what's really interesting about this industry as well is that it is very discount heavy. So like we offer a first box discount, which is fairly high. And then you get like a a second part to that offer. And that kind of varies. And it's different from competitor to competitor, different channel by channel. But it is a really big lever to get people engaging with us and signing up and reordering. We've done quite a lot of testing on it. It's quite a big focus for us. And we have kind of a roadmap that we work to. We actually recently moved to a two-month discount structure. So we were offering a discount off the first box and then a certain percentage, a lower percentage off your first month of boxes to build that habit. We then kind of were testing over the course of a year because that's how long it took for us to get the data in, check the validity of that data, make sure that it was right across however many channels, repeat the test because the market had changed. Yeah. We, we did it three times. And in the end, I was like, this is the last time. <laughs> and we either stop pursuing two-month discounts or we roll it out. And yeah, we we tested extending that that first month discount to a two-month discount. And actually, we found that although there wasn't a huge amount of conversion rate uplift in it, it was better for attention. So it okay. helped people build that habit. And we were fairly like, kind of, we didn't see any impact to our kind of like cost per acquisition or anything like that by doing that. I think I've seen brands who tried to test different discount structures and they're kind of boxed into whatever they've got at the moment because they actually like, they can't make it pay back with the the current way that their marketing is set up and how they're like spending to acquire customers so i think it's quite kind of it's a very nuanced i guess strategy but it is like a very big lever for us at least in our industry yeah yeah i remember when i was at breedley we did a huge amount of testing on on offers and just generally the sign-up process so we tested 7 14 and 30 day free trials we tested with and without credit card and we tested a bunch of like conversion offers to try and get people converted early. So we, you know, we found if we can get someone to to pay before their trial has ended, that that had a you know decent impact on their lifetime value. And in the end, we, end, we I think we ended up doing something like it was a free thirty day free trial without credit card. But then we would use a I believe it was two months for five pounds offer for people who didn't convert within about 14 days of their trial ending. And that's, that's what gave us that, that kind of best, best initial conversion rate. Cause by removing credit card removed a bit, a big blocker. So we got more people through the, through the door in the first place. And then because more people are trying it and, and liking the app, it gave us a bigger, 
pool of people to convert at the end. And then that, yeah, I think it was about 14 days after their trial ended, we'd give them the offer and say, you can have your, you know, if you, if you sign up now, you'll get two months for five pounds, I think it was. And that, that seemed to be the, the flow that worked best for, for the most amount of people. I think it's really interesting because like it really depends on like your industry and your offer as to how you can evolve that and how you can test it. And sometimes it is and like this is what we do for acquisition and this is what we do for retention and treat those offers as completely separate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, the the mentality of people is different, right? The intent. So trying to get someone to get a first purchase, you might need to incentivize them a little bit more. But if they like if they do like the product and they think it's worth buying again, then you might need to incentivize them to come back, but it shouldn't have to be a big discount really. And ideally you don't you don't have to offer a discount at all if they like the product. But I get I suppose maybe some things people consider a bit of a luxury. So they're not bothered about having it all the time but if they get a discount then they'll happily buy again but maybe there are some other other issues going on there which is which is causing them not to purchase before we finish uh, just kind of generally like what do you think makes a good customer experience so i think like in terms of my world like digital product world just like a journey that loads quickly that you don't have time to kind of get bored while it's loading. Something that feels intuitive and sets the right expectation. So like whatever CTA button you're clicking matches where you actually, like the copy on it matches where you actually end up, that kind of stuff. And I guess something that kind of gets you excited about the thing that you're buying so that when you do actually get it and, and it arrives, like particularly for Gusto, like it, it's exciting to receive like a box of all of the ingredients you're going to need to make this delicious food. And like that unboxing experience is, is a like an emotional thing to be having all this nice, fresh ingredients, colorful ingredients like delivered to your door and trying to bring that and like the gusto personality into that sign up journey so that yeah. it's not just like, I'm putting in my postcode. <laughs> I'm saying how many people it's for. And I think like, to me, a kind of good customer journey is something that can tell a bit of a story and make people feel something about the product that they're buying and make them feel engaged with it. And like it then aligns with that end experience of the product they're receiving. And that's how you make like a strong well-rounded experience and a product that people love and, and come back to without a discount right yeah i think like you said it's it's that that usability piece right it's got to it's just got to work it's got to do what you expect it to do it's got to do it reasonably quickly and then people want to be excited about it right it can it can tick all the boxes but if you you know i've i, I know i've done it plenty of times where i've got all the way through to checkout my credit card number's in the box and I've gone, actually, I don't really need this. And I've and I've abandoned the purchase because I'd never got I never hit that moment where I was like, I need this in my life right now. And I'm gonna and, and unfortunately I have to wait 24 hours for it to turn up or or it's gonna be two days. And if you can't get that in there as well, 
then there's always like people will go and explore the other options yeah it's positive friction like there is people often think that conversion rate optimization is just taking stuff away until people don't have another choice but actually like it can be adding stuff in that positively enhances their experience like when we put in that localized join the community in your area like that made the page longer it it added more information above the action that they were supposed to be taking but ultimately it gave them enough confidence and trust in our brand that they continued to sign up and signed up at a higher rate like it amazes me how often we'll change something at the beginning of a journey and it will have such a massive impact on the end result and actually like the thing that you influence or the piece of messaging you put in the copy the design is like way at the front but it's somehow increased trust and increased like conversion rate on that last step and it's just really interesting because like that's you emotionally impacting someone with a a visual or some words yeah well i suppose it's the whole like long copy short copy argument isn't it people there's a lot of people saying short copy is better right people skim people don't want to read loads of information but actually if the if the right information is on the screen you can have people reading for ages it's just it's the quality of the message that you're putting on the screen if that's rubbish then yeah of course people are going to bounce and they're going to and just going to move on but if every message that you add to that page is adding value to that person it's helping them understand what they're about to buy it's helping motivate them then yeah everything's going to be valuable everything's going to increase your chance of conversion definitely cool so just before we finish then a couple of quick fire questions is there anyone in the like the general e-commerce marketing space that you'd want to sit down for lunch with i thought long and hard about this question and couldn't come up with a good answer (laughs) anyone anyone from a particular brand is a brand that you'd want to so i think probably not e-commerce marketing space you can sort of argue that he's marketing but i would love to have a chat with the founder of the fake meat company this because his like whole personality on like linkedin is just hilarious i think it would be quite a funny lunch and i want to hear about how they come up with the like marketing stunts and capers that they do i just think they have like a such a strong presence and have disrupted an industry and i'd really like to hear more about how you kind of do that wacky off the wall creative stuff yeah i guess and, and keep coming like consistently yeah consistently well, like, it's easy to come up well not easy but it's easier to come up with one stunt and then it's like how do, how do you repeat stuff without like and how do you do the same kind of wacky stuff but that it's also different enough for people to react to and care about. Yeah. And also like you can immediately tell that it's them when they're doing it, which I think is really hard to do, like to repeat that surprise. And they've also, I believe, turned it into a tool to drive sales. And that's the bit that interests me the most. Yeah. Okay, cool. And marketing tools. Are there any 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 tools that you use on a regular basis that you'd recommend? Mine is so bog standard. 
so boring data studio because what is life without being able to like merge a bunch of data together and look at it in a graph and uh, just understand like every step of your funnel and marketing or customer journey and then the other one is facebook ads library i am forever in there just stalking what other people are doing outside of our industry inside of our industry i just want to know what ads they're running <laughs> and that's, stealing that's an interesting one. <laughs> fair enough cool well thanks so much if anyone wants to reach out and, and have a chat what's the best way of doing that so i am on linkedin laura jane bill and i also have an instagram account laura Bullmark. excellent All right thanks so much laura thank you Everyone talks about how important social proof is, but social proof seems to have been incorrectly linked to just reviews. But there are many other forms of social proof that you can use, whether it's media coverage, uh, number of people following you on social media, or in the case of Gusto, how many people near you are also ordering and part of that community. As Laura mentioned, it was specifically the number of people that worked for them, not how many meals were ordered. Even though customers may not have any interaction with each other, there's a sense of community around services like Gusto. And I suppose a number of people kind of has a, a bit more of an impactful social value than just the number of meals shipped. If you'd like to hear more from Laura, you can find her on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customersuclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Max Drutz joining me. We're going to be talking about how video content can improve engagement rates on your website and importantly, conversion. But until then, keep those customers clicking.